Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Very special guest this morning, Gary McGowan. Gary, how are we doing? I'm very good, thank you. Of course, Brian, you're back from your holidays as well. I am indeed, yeah. Followed in your footsteps, Dean, went to the, the south of Italy, down the Amalfi Coast. It was a good time. It was a good time. Gary will have to go next, so... Yeah, next up. Arrange that for yourself, son. Mm, indeed, indeed. Um, so... We're going to get stuck in because Gary has stuff to do, which is surprising, to be honest, you know, um, <laughs> but today we're going to talk about, I suppose the title is, what did I say? How young, how young men can become the best versions of themselves. I think Gary is a pretty good person to get on to talk about this topic of conversation. Of course, if you're a female and you're listening to this, you'll get value out of it, but Absolutely. it is kind of directed towards the lads because marketing i suppose is a good way <laughs> and I'm, I'm i'm also male by the way yes that wasn't obvious yeah <laughs> yes indeed indeed um so yeah i think a few points to get through um i wrote them out here we'll just kind of flow through them i think but yeah like i think i suppose you get a lot of questions on instagram gary that are kind of like in the same way uh, would be from young lads that want to know about kind of like discipline and getting on the path and everything like that. And, you know, a lot of these young lads kind of gravitate towards, including ourselves to a certain degree, that people like Jocko and Jordan Peterson and Liver King and Andrew Tate um, as well. Um, but wh- why do you think that is? Um, I think there's multiple different reasons for this. I think firstly, I think it's interesting to compare those four that you mentioned because like they kind of exist on a spectrum where Jordan Peterson is like, he's maybe like the intellectual side of the spectrum for men looking for motivation, discipline, life advice, etc. Jocko is like the hardcore, hardened military veteran version of that. Andrew Tate is like the, street thug rebel like messer in the class version of that and then you've got liver king who's like the class clown weirdo hippie version of that so all of them have like their own tilt on some on at least a similar appeal if not similar messages if you go through each of those individuals and you look there at their advice as to how one should live there will be some common things like take responsibility for your life, be disciplined, live deliberately, um, you know, work hard, apply yourself, etc. aim at the good. All of those will, they'll pass on those same messages with different um, levels of abrasiveness, let's say. You're never going to hear Jocko like talking about, I don't know, hooking up with girls or something. Peterson might touch on it. Liver King, I don't know. I don't, I'm not aware. And then Andrew Tate is like, you know, the, the street version who'll talk about those types of things. Um, but fundamentally, the, the appeal there with those types of individuals is that young men are often in a position where they're asking, what do I do next with my life? I'm feeling a bit lost. I'm feeling like there's a dearth of meaning for me as an individual and for young men in general. And I need to try to find some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose. And I want to know where I go from here. Because I, in an ideal world, 
what you would have is a culture and a society in which there are very clear next steps, rites of passage, etc., that take one from childhood slash adolescence into adulthood, you know, rites of passage to becoming a man, for example. That's always existed in traditional cultures in the past, that there's been some form of rite of passage. And that fundamentally doesn't exist now in our culture. In some sense, Christianity and in other countries, other religions, but Christianity very much in Ireland, previously played a key role in defining where meaning and purpose and direction in one's life comes from, because there was a specific moral system that was prescribed and enforced in some ways. Um, there was clear next steps in terms of one's spiritual development, you could say. And the, 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 the definition of right and wrong and how you should live your life came from that religious system. And while we very much still swim in Christian waters without realizing that we do, which is kind of the way Tom Holland, who's an author, that he's not, he's not religious, but he writes about religion. That's the way he puts it, that, you know, a fish that's in a fish tank doesn't necessarily realize that he's in water because he's always been there. And it's similar here where we don't realize that we kind of live within a society that has its morals and its ethics that are largely derived from prior uh, religious institutions. So those institutions have now been degraded and people, most people are atheistic these days, especially in our gener generation. Most people don't really believe in higher power. A lot of people tilt towards like moral relativism where they think, you know, morality just is relative and it's kind of, you know, whatever you think is right and let people live the way they want to live, um, which has some merits in some cases, but can degenerate quite a bit. And all of these things come together to put people in a position where if they are lost, they're not sure where to look because they're not sure where the North Star is. And as a result, instead of there being a centralized North Star from where someone might get their meaning, people end up in a position where they have multiple different stars that they potentially orient themselves towards. And that often comes in the form of where people direct their attention, which is social media. And in this case, people might come across someone like Jocko or someone like Jordan Peterson or other individuals when they're feeling lost because they feel like they get, they get direction. And one of the things that I really, really dislike is the fact that, like, for example, like Jordan Peterson is probably the best example of this. When people start to pay attention to Peterson and follow his work, they get called misogynists or bigots or incels and this type of thing. Like, if you're going to call people incels for, for following Peterson, what, what are you going to say to Cristiano Ronaldo? one of the most successful people to have ever lived, arguably, arguably the best footballer ever, um, and an incredibly astute businessman, a handsome, good-looking, well-accomplished man who looked to Peterson's lectures for help when he was in a position earlier this year. Um, he had a number of difficulties in his own personal life, and consuming Peterson's work and then meeting Peterson recently actually really helped him to kind of get back on the path and feel like he had some direction. So if Cristiano Ronaldo is, can reach out for help and better for, from that, it's very likely that we can too. And my point here is not necessarily the merits of, of Peterson's work or, or any of these individuals, but rather that the place from which people end up getting their meaning these days is very often people online. Um, and 
I, I suppose I'll leave it there for the moment before going on further, but do you have anything to, to add or ask about anything I said there? Yeah. Like I think, you know, um, I think when it comes to say, for example, you look at a clip of Peterson online, people will only really get like a small snapshot of what he's saying. Like mo most of the people that criticize him, will not have watched the Maps of Meaning lectures or the biblical series, you know? And I think like, because yeah, he has some takes that are not, you know, when he talks about climate change and nutrition and stuff like that, that are obviously, you know, they, they are not uh, at the same level of uh, his understanding yeah. versus his psychology and philosophy. And then people sort of misconstrue that in a way. And, you know, they call him, you know, as you say, he's a bigot or whatever it is, um, and it's taken out of context, you know. But I, but I think like that, that's actually a really good point that you made about like how even someone at the higher echelons of society, they can take something incredibly valuable from someone like Peterson. And you know, like we discussed this kind of whenever uh, we were over in London about like how you were kind of on that side of the fence where you were atheistic. And now you've moved over to adopting some of these, the theological yeah. ways, you know, the, the, the texts and everything like that. Um, even though previously you were like, oh, sure. Why is Jordan Peterson? Like, why is he adopting the, you know, why, why is he talking about this stuff? Like, sure. That's yeah. stupid yeah. or whatever. Like, you know, so it's, it's really interesting. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in terms of like your, your question about like men being gravitated towards these figures, like, I'm not even interested in, in, for the purpose of this discussion, the content of any of any of what they're saying, but rather the motive, as in whatever about Peterson says about anything or any of these individuals. Like, why are we in a position that men seem to be so attracted to this? Why are we in a position where, like, even Ziz, you know, is is like <laughs> back, like Ziz is back as like an icon. And like you have all these videos about reject modernity, embrace masculinity, like all if there's these constant memes that are coming up over and over and over again, where it's like young men are trying to just attach themselves to something to get them back onto the path. Um, and like again, there are many, many reasons for that. You know, if you think previously, like if a if a young man is in, let's say, a time of war um, and in a society in which they're required to, to fight in that war, I, I don't even have to say in the, past, in the past, if you're in Russia or Ukraine at the moment and you're a, a young man, you don't have a choice. You're going to war. And to some extent, like men have evolved with those pressures in place. Like there's you, a lot of people like to say that there's no differences between men and women but there absolutely are very pronounced differences and in terms of like men men have evolved in some ex extent or always have had the the environment in which they've had to protect provide and obviously procreate as well but there's that impulse to have some sort of direction and to feel like you have purpose um women need that as well but for, for men in in particular if you look at the way that our society has kind of developed um now it's generally the case that traits that are more common in masculinity especially at the extremes are looked down upon um at, at the very least in terms of like for example hyper competitiveness aggression etc like they are all the result of testosterone's impact on the brain especially at the extremes um 
and masculine uh, personality traits. And if you're someone that's at the extreme, let's say, of, of masculinity, um, a very high T individual, if you will, and you're very competitive, you're very, you're very assertive, you maybe are aggressive, like that's generally not um, rewarded or not seen as socially acceptable in many ways. And as a result, a lot of people feel, or a lot of young men feel like they have to feminize themselves in some way or they feel like they have to hold back their opinions or things they might want to say etc um because of the society that they live in so then when they come across figures who encourage them to you know actually be a man and adopt traditional masculinity and aim at traditional um masculine virtues or values they feel like they have a path again so there's there's a lot to that and to some extent it kind of delves into the political as well which makes it really messy because like typically like these figures and the kind of masculine internet if you will tends to tilt towards the right wing of the political spectrum so that's one of the reasons it ends up being so kind of controversial for people um but uh you know one of my friends who is like he's very He's quite left wing himself. I'd have disagree with him on most things, I would say. Or well, we, we might have a lot of agreements. But like one of the things he points out is that what he doesn't like now about the the left wing of the political political spectrum is that there's no alternative. So if you're a young man, let's say, and you're not even interested in politics, you're following, you know, Jocko Peterson, you might come across Andrew Tate, these types of people. You might necessarily even have political views, but you end up coming across them. Um, and effectively, there's there's no alternative for the the person who who's maybe left the wing doesn't want to adopt these people's political views, etc. So there's a really really messy kind of cacophony of factors here between the social, the cultural, the political. Um, but I think you can at the, at the heart of it understand why young men might be in a position where they feel like they need some sort of figure, and in particular, um, if they're you know fatherless, in particular, that's somewhere that you see this being particularly important. Um, if you don't have any male role models in your life, then you're going to look for them somewhere elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the fatherless because I was, I was training with one of the lads and we were just talking about Jordan and mm-hmm. he was just like, yeah, Jordan Peterson is, is for lads that, you know, they've had no father to like actually show them uh, how to live in a way like, you know, um, but yeah. Um, I think, yeah, because I think the sort of that homogenization of, you know, male and female traits, I think that overall is, has not had a good effect. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Like, I think, you know, it's obviously in, in some cases, it's probably good for certain men to adopt more feminine traits and, you know, the other way around. But as a whole, I think it has probably affected men specifically I'd like you know because I'm actually speaking as a man mm-hmm. um and I like I work with men as well like you know in terms of I actually see them dealing with certain existential problems not that I can help solve them as a lowly nutritionist like but um you know we can I talk about uh, this kind of stuff with some of my male clients like you know and I think then it sort of has this downstream effect on their ability to actually conduct themselves in day-to-day life you know, and we can talk a little bit about like the whole uh, concept of discipline and, and habit formation versus like motivation. But I think, you know, I think the, these sort of larger topics of, you know, male and female roles and traditional values and everything like that and the sort of the homogenization of that overall has that downstream impact on 
a man's ability to be the type of person that he wants to be, act in the type of way that he wants to act, and ultimately sort of self-actualize mm-hmm. in a sense, yeah. you know? Yeah, I agree with that. And something you touched on there is like the fact that like men men can be more feminine while still being men, obviously, in that like mm. when we talk about, and it's particularly why I use the word extremes when I'm talking about this, because if you're to take a if you're to take a normal distribution of female personality traits and male personality traits, let's say, and you cross them over, there's going to be mostly overlap, you know, but the problem is at it's, it's at the extremes where you begin to, you know, experience problems. Like for example, the vast majority of, of psychopaths are male, you know, the male, male, males have higher levels of, of psychopathic traits. The most aggressive people are going to be male. The most competitive people are going to be male. So you're going to have people at the extremes, much like you would on the female side of the spectrum, where females are generally going to be more um, emotional and they experience their emotions in different ways um, to men. And one of the ways that this becomes manifest, I think, is in the area of like men's mental health. Because what you end up with is anytime men have talk about mental health concerns, the solution that's proposed is very frequently for them to just be more like women. You know, why don't you just talk about your emotions more? Why don't you just share them more with your partner or whatever? But it's just not that simple a lot of the time, unfortunately. Like a lot of the time, like men will self-report that, when they have like some sort of like masculine brotherhood, like they've got a solid like friend circle, or maybe they're part of some some group or a club or sport, etc., that they get you know massive benefits from that. That it's not just about them, you know, talking about their emotions in the same way that a woman might, um, and or even expressing their emotions because they're not necessarily the same. You know, where a man will generally. Um, experience higher levels of aggression and like what I always say to people is are you sure you want men to be honest about expressing their emotions like you better be careful if that's what you want because where where uh, women might generally express higher levels of um, let's say negative emotion and feeling um, upset crying etc you might have a man who's on the same, who's also experiencing negative emotion, but he's aggressive. He's aggressive, and he wants to rip the throat out of the cashier who's standing across from him. You don't want men to <laughs> express all their emotions because they're not the same, and they can be very different and and very much not socially acceptable in a good way, in this sense. So, um, I think you just have to appreciate that there are sex differences that are present, and I think harmony exists when you know both femininity and masculinity are expressed in some way and then they come together and they create a greater whole like that's the beauty of relationships is that you get that you have a masculine pole and a feminine pole and they attract together um whereas the kind of message generally these days is that all it should just be equal you both do the same thing in a relationship and like that's another question like people can have good relationships in many different ways but there are strengths there are weaknesses and i think as an individual what you should identify is what genuinely contributes you know to my happiness and to my sense of fulfillment and forget for a moment like what everyone around you is telling you what you should do and ask yourself what actually contributes to my fulfillment like for me like i really like hard physical training and i really like um working hard and being busy and i'm probably on that like workaholic spectrum where i 
do too much. And I'm probably willing to accept a certain trade-off to my health as a result of that. But it gives me meaning. It gives me purpose. It makes me feel like I'm useful. And it makes me feel like I'm on sort of, some sort of path. And someone might come along to me with some advice saying, you know, why don't you just work, you know, 35 hours a week and then you can like watch TV in the evenings and, you know, just gentle exercise a few times a week. Like hell, that's hell. I absolutely don't want that. It would not make me feel good. It would make me, it's just not for me. I understand it's for other people, but that's what it's all about is take away even the the masculine and feminine and the male female differences we're talking about and actually just centering on you as an individual what are your needs as an individual what contributes to a genuine sense of purpose and meaning for you and then pursue that and note then that that sense of purpose and meaning like being on a path that feels meaningful is not the same as feeling happy all the time and that's the most important point that i always try to reinforce to people if you're on a path that gives you meaning there's going to be suffering along the way. It's the meaning that justifies the suffering. That's the whole point. That's one of Peterson's central messages is that life is going to bring suffering regardless. What you need is sufficient meaning to actually justify that suffering and to make it seem like it's worth it. Because whether you decide to not work at all or work to great excess, there's going to be suffering of different kinds and of different magnitudes. And what you need is some sort of meaning. So um, just, just realize that life doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be smooth sailing and full of happiness all the time. I certainly don't feel happy every morning when I wake up and I'm like, oh, yes, I can't wait to just work all day long. Like it doesn't necessarily make me happy all the time, but there's there's moments of joy there where I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we made a step forward. Like this feels good or you get good feedback or you get a good result or you have a good gym session. Th- that gives me that kick that I need to keep going and makes my life seem like it's worth living. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think... A lot of what you said there comes down to knowing yourself to some degree, because you're you're obviously very aware of what gives you that meaning and what Mm. can derive some joy and what. So I suppose you're very aware of what your heaven is and you're very aware of what your hell is. Yes. But I think sometimes, like, as you say, there's the the type of like hell for you is the 35 hours a week, chill out the evenings, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Light exercise. But. Equally, I think for some people, for some men, that sounds there, awful. I should should clarify it. <laughs> That's not hell, <laughs> like, but it, it might be like a road to hell for me. Let's yeah. <laughs> that sounds okay. so like condescending towards people who have like genuine struggles in life. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll not maybe just frame it that way. Uh, just as on, as continue. That. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe you have someone that actually, you know, their personality and what they derive in terms of like the the most beneficial source of, of being and and um, joy and, you know, I suppose how they want their life to set up. It could be more towards that, but they kind of see Jocko and, and Jordan and, you know, even people like yourself and they sort of feel like, right, they feel obliged to sort of shoot for that. Mm. And it's like, right, if I'm not working 90 hour, 90 hour weeks like Gary, I'm a piece of shit. And then that actually you know, can detract from their level of, um, you know, I suppose the, the getting their life to uh, the place that it needs to be for them. Like, um, so I think a, a lot of it comes down to knowing kind of your personality and sort of what you're built for in a sense. However, I think that like when you look at across the board, most lads could probably do better 
if if they had a little bit more discipline, if they watched mm-hmm. a little bit less Netflix, if they weren't on social media, if they got up a little bit earlier, if they trained a little bit harder, you know. Um, but I don't think it necessarily means that you have to get up at four a.m. No. Um, and and go at it. Yeah, and it's like silly because it's a good point because um, like some people force it, you know, where they will they'll be like, oh, I saw Jacko got up at half four, so I'm gonna get up at half four, and it's like. You what are you gonna do? Scroll your phone, watch Netflix. All you end up doing then is you're just more tired, you're suffering the effects of sleep deprivation, and you've done nothing extra. So if you have eight hours of work to do in a day, you do not need to be up at half four in the morning unless you want to, unless like they're your most productive hours and that works for you. Please be my guest. But like if you need to have if you need to do an exceptional amount amount of, of work you will just lots of things to do lots of things on maybe you de- do need to get up a bit earlier maybe you do need to be more disciplined about what time you're getting up in the morning and that's exactly to your point dean it's about knowing yourself knowing your own needs and being very honest about that because most people aren't honest about it like if they have habits uh let's say of sleeping in really late it's they might justify it by saying oh i'm just not a morning person but they've never tried they've never genuinely given it a shot they hit the snooze on the alarm every day. They haven't really tried. Um, it's and 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 those people then maybe they're like, I'm just a night owl, you know, that's when I'm most productive. But then you ask them what they do at night, and oh well, I scroll and I go on Netflix, and the last six or seven hours of the day is just them doing nothing and just like watching Netflix. And if that's restorative for you, that's fine. But very often what people do is they fall into those leisure activities rather than planning those leisure activities. And when you fall into leisure activities of, and I wouldn't even call it leisure activities, but you ever have a period where you scroll your phone and maybe you end up on a few different sites and suddenly you're like an hour has passed. You never feel good about that. You never feel good when it's not intentional. And it's the same with like Netflix or any other type of leisure. If it's been unplanned and it's taken away from something that you know, and you do know, because everyone knows that you should have done instead, that never feels good. It's the same as a meal, guys. We talk about it all the time. Obviously, we reference to nutrition. If we can get our clients to, you know, get comfortable allowing themselves some chocolate, planning that they'll have the meal on the Friday night that, you know, I'll get a burger and fries or whatever, they can actually enjoy it. But it's if they have that same meal and it was unplanned and they feel super guilty or, or they, they feel like they're now off the path, it's not a positive experience anymore. So that same... Um, that same relationship between your actions and the, the psychological outcome also exists for how you behave each day. So what I would say to people is that you, you can absolutely have your leisure time. You can absolutely have your television in the evening, but plan it that, it's go- that that's what you're going to do. Like at 8 p.m., I close the laptop and I'm going to go on Netflix, watch it for two hours, and then I'm going to go to bed at 10 p.m. or 12 or 1, whatever your plan is, but have a rough plan. Because when, when we're like, what I always think of the construct of kind of anxiety more broadly as is it's basically chaos in some sense. And, and that's what it feels like when you're anxious, you feel like you can't direct yourself or orient, orient yourself towards anything because you've got all these different ideas and thoughts and stressors that are coming at you and you're feeling really worried and hypervigilant. So the more you can bring your life into order and into alignment in terms of planning your days, planning your weeks the less opportunity there is for that chaos to creep in. That doesn't mean planning down to the minute, but what it does mean is here's roughly when I'm working, here's my wake up time, here's my bedtime, here's my leisure time. And then you can start to 
allocate your time accordingly to those blocks. And that just makes such a potent difference to your day-to-day life. And you, you don't even realize it until you're actually doing it. Because I can tell you what, like I've got, I was up at half four this morning, but I'm actually off for most of today because at about half 12 or one, um, Laura's, Laura has a family birthday basically in Limerick. So we're going to Limerick and I'm going to enjoy the evening. But I've been working since half four until half 12. I'll have my eight hour workday done before we go. I'll have all my clients message. I'll have this podcast done, the triage podcast done. I'll be in a place then where I can drive up to Limerick and be like, yeah, I'm going to meet up with Gavin, one of my friends. We're going to get a coffee, go to the gym. Um, if Laura wants to go for a walk in UL, we can go for a walk. I can go out for food. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff because I've planned for it. And now I don't have to be anxious about, oh, you know, Brian needs me to get back to him on this or I need to get back to my client with a new program because it's sorted. We're good. We're on the path. So that's what that's what that phrase from Jocko, discipline equals freedom, is all about. It's not about filling every hour of the day with things you hate. Peterson says it as well. Create a schedule or a life that you actually like, like plan in things that you enjoy. So I'm able to go to Limerick. I'm able to enjoy myself, but it's only because I was disciplined this morning. Had I not been disciplined this morning, then now I'm going away to Limerick and I'm in a position where I'm super stressed about work. Like Brian, you just had a holiday last week. You knew you were going on holidays. You planned, there was measures in place to ensure that your work was done while you were away, et cetera. So you could enjoy that. Whereas I've been on holidays in the past where I didn't put those measures in place. And I said, I'll just work when I can I'm, when I'm on holidays. And it, it ruins it. Trust me, it ruins the experience because all I'm thinking then is I need to get back to this client. Oh, did I message him back about this? I need to update this program. Oh, is it next week that he said he's got a, a trip away? I just, it just ruins your experience. So plan your week, plan your day, plan your life and things get better. Do you agree? <laughs> totally. Totally. Like, I think it's a useful question just to ask yourself, like, how do you want to say your day was spent? Yeah. Because as you said, I think people fall into that kind of leisurely crap by just not having things clarified that they want to do with their day and I see this <clears throat> quite a lot with people that maybe have issues with binge eating or something when they're bored right because I can think of examples where you know they have an impromptu kind of night off you know maybe you know the kids are being looked after and uh, you know they basically have this alone time for themselves that they don't usually have and they basically like when we talk about it in retrospect it becomes quite clear but they basically just end up, you know, eating because they didn't think, oh, what would I actually like to do with this time? So, you know, I say to them, okay, if you were to know that was coming up in advance and you said, you know, and I asked you, how would you like to spend that time? You wouldn't say to me, oh, it's going to sit on the couch and eat stuff, right? You would make some sort of plan for something that you want to do. So, you know, if you just find yourself scrolling or watching excessive amounts of TV, um, I use the same sort of framing when the whole pandemic hit as well, right? And we had the first two-week lockdown, right? And that was supposed to end after two weeks. But, you know, I, I asked people like, okay, in two weeks' time, how do you want how do you want to say you spent this two weeks? You know, when we're talking about it in two weeks' time, how do you want to talk about it? You probably don't want to say that everything just fell apart and you lost all discipline and you didn't get any exercise done and you just 
ate all around you and disregarded your nutrition because you couldn't go to the gym. Like you probably don't want to say that about yourself and about how you act on your life, but you need to have clarity on that in terms of how you actually want to live, which requires some thought, I suppose, and, and exploration, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, and I think like what you said there, Gary, like you're going to like not only what in terms of how you described your day set up, you got up at half four, you're done by half 12, you've got your eight hours of work done. <clears throat> not only does that give you the freedom to do X, Y, Z, but like later on, the fact that you had done all this stuff from half four to half 12, that's actually going to enhance the feeling that you get of yeah, going for a walk with Laura, going to the gym with your friend, mm-hmm. like it actually enhances the joy that you get from those leisure activities because it's almost like like i actually can like because sometimes it's always good to sort of think back to like the sensations that you actually get in your body it's almost like if you have something to do that you know you should have done and you're trying to spend leisure time it's like a pressure at the back of your head or something it just like it is actually a sensation to it and the fact that you can release that you know, in a roundabout way, it sort of opens you up to have more joy from all of these activities from a leisure perspective. So, but I think it's just about, I suppose, breaking through some old habits that people have to get to that place. I think that's that's the key distinctive factor. As you say, people never have maybe tried hard enough at getting up early or tried hard enough at organizing their schedule or tried hard enough at doing these things that would ultimately lead them to have a better life and a more enjoyable life overall and and the important thing is that there is that positive like feed forward cycle and this is like the point you mentioned there is exactly what i'm talking about in terms of paying attention to the sensations and to the psychological experience as well that occurs when you make a change in behavior um like for example if we're talking about the person who like they, let's say they don't, they have six to eight hours of work to do a day. They don't train, but they say, right, I'm going to get up at half four in the morning because it seems like that's hardcore. That's not going to benefit their life. So there's no reason for them to continue doing that because they don't have any basis for it. So they don't get, as you say, the positive psychological experience from it. It doesn't enhance anything for them. It just makes it worse because now they're more tired at work. They're less productive. Um, they're not motivated. They're more t- They're wrecked in the evening. They can't do any leisure activities, etc. Whereas if someone's in a position where, they have a genuine need. They're now at a point where, God, my day is so full. I don't feel like I have any time to, um, you know, relax in the evening or I don't have any time to get my workouts in. And then that person decides to get up a bit earlier, be more disciplined about planning out their day. Now they're in a position where they do get the workouts done. They do get the meals prepped. They do get their leisure time. And that feels great. So that's that feeling carries you forward then. And I often have to remind myself of that because if I have a period, let's say, where, because this happens sometimes if I'm on certain placements, um, sometimes it just works out easier that I get up a bit later and then I end up staying up a bit later. But I often find that that staying up a bit later can just get a little bit out of control where I let it go a little bit too late. I work a bit too late. My sleep is a bit poorer. And I need to remind myself of what it felt like when I was you know, getting up earlier and being a bit more uh, strict with my sleep and wake times. And I, where, where, if you're poor at recalling those feelings and recalling those experiences, I think this is where journaling can become quite useful or even having like a, a code of conduct for yourself. Like this is when I feel best when all these things are in place. And then over time, as you deviate from those things, you go back to your checklist and say, right, I've been feeling anxious lately. 
I don't feel motivated. I don't feel, I just don't feel good in myself. Back, back to your checklist, what's in place? Oh, you know what? I actually haven't been getting my nutrition in order. Oh yeah, I have been skipping one or two workouts. And yeah, do you know what? I actually haven't been disciplined with my sleep time. I've been using the phone in bed. Go through your checklist and you'll actually find that there are clear reasons as to why you're feeling that way. So as you say, use the feelings, pay attention to the physical symptoms and the psychological experience that you have in response to a change in behavior and use that as, as fuel going forward then. But don't just do it for image, you know, don't just do it for the camera, you know, if you will, that you're just getting up early and pretending to do things for the sake of it, because people do that all the time. You know, it's classic in the fitness industry. You have people that are maybe their full-time goal is like building muscle and getting in shape and maximizing performance. And what they end up doing is getting up at like four o'clock in the morning, sleeping six hours a night, even though they don't have no need to do so. And they compromise their results as a result. So like, there's no point in doing that, but if you have a need, it might make your life better. I think that's, yeah, that's an important part of the message because people see you doing that and they're like, Oh, I, I should do that as well. But as you say, as you say all the time, like yeah. you have to have a very good reason to do so. Cause if you don't, why, why bother? Yeah. I explicitly say like, no, you should not live like me. Like this is probably not wise for the vast majority of people. Like, don't recommend this. And when I say that sometimes I have to sacrifice sleep, I'm like, yes, I am tired. And yes, this isn't optimal. If you're chasing optimal, I say it all the time, but then obviously if someone comes across my content and they haven't seen those caveats, they're like, what's this lunatic up to? So I understand that too. But uh, yeah, just, just note that like, obviously sleep is important rest is important in terms of managing your health your stress etc um but people do vary in terms of their the the reward that they get from relaxation time some people need a lot of it and some people just don't feel good at all when they're relaxing too much it's just not right for them and and that's again comes back to the point of understanding yourself and and being very honest about that in both directions you know some people will I've done this in the past where I've totally avoided relaxation and just totally overworked myself to the point where I wasn't getting any more done. I was just spending more time staring at the computer, you know, and excusing myself from leisure time. And that did me no good either. So that's part of understanding yourself. Yeah. There, there is a sweet spot. I know like I really, really enjoy watching some TV mm -hmm. with Fiona, but if it starts to drift into more than I'm comfortable with, I start to get like really unpleasant sensations. Yeah. It's not nice. No. Yeah. It's um, like we were talking about the, the podcast when we were just talking about the different, it was a Q and a episode and we were talking about video games. It's like, for me, there's no, like, like there's no sweet spot with video games. It's either I'm not playing them at all or totally I'm totally addicted. fucking addicted. And you know, oh. I am just, you know, I'm going to just waste my life away. Like, so I just can't have them in my life. Like, so yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, learning the sweet spot with all of these different things is, is key. Um, but I think that comes through testing as well, you know, cause I have tested, I have tested getting up at four five, six, seven AM. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you now, like six is probably maybe half five is probably the max for me. Mm -hmm. I'm probably most productive somewhere between six and half seven. 
and getting up and, and, you know, and I've sort of like structured my days in that way. Um, but that's just the way I'm wired in a sense. Yes. Like, and, and I think I've done, like, I know that's a little bit of testing that like, if I get up at five or I get up at half four, I'm just going to be absolutely fucked at about 2 PM. And I'm just not going to want to like have the focus. Cause like, if I have a consultation at three, four and five and my brain is just like, you need to sleep and I'm just dying because I, mm. I got up, you know, at, at x amount of, uh, at x time in the morning that's actually affecting the quality of those consultations for me personally yeah. and it's probably not the same for you gary because you're obviously different um but it's just about wait, like wait. let me just jump in there one second just to say that like i actually noticed the same thing but what helps when i'm let's say if i'm getting up at half four or whatever we're getting up super early and that seems to only benefit me and in my experience like with the testing like you said to the greatest extent when i have st- stuff that's clearly on that would necessitate me getting up earlier like for example if it's if i had no college placement at the moment and i was off college let's say and my triage work was totally flexible and i had an open day i could do my work whenever i don't think to be unless i had like a planned training session in the morning like just getting up at half four and having the whole day ahead of me doesn't necessarily benefit me then because it's just too open there's too much margin for error there so when you start to feel that tiredness set in productivity is compromised to a greater extent whereas if i'm up early and i've got to be at the hospital for half seven and then after that i've maybe got jujitsu at seven i've got all these pillars in my day let's say i have a consultation like you say at four or five when i've got those pillars in my day it's like okay on to the next thing on to the next thing on to the next thing and then the day is over but if the day is just totally open and i'm up early in the morning i find that to be of marginal if any benefit and potentially of detriment to my productivity so the that small window in the morning is from an experience perspective feels a lot different if you have half four to seven it's a two and a half hour block it's like right i can get through that but if like you're saying dean where your schedule is more flexible you get up at half four and you're saying all right i'm going to finish work at what time i don't know half four p.m you've got 12 hours now of how do i fill this and as you know when you've got a big block of time allocated to tasks that aren't specifically planned out, they'll stretch to fill that time. It's Parkinson's law. You know, even if you only have four hours worth of genuine work, that's going to take you those 12 hours. So it is very, very different. And that's what I try to remind people um, as well. Mm-hmm. Right. We only have less than 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about drinking culture because I think that's it fits cool. into this. <laughs> so what? what's, I suppose, like, because I this is something that we as coaches we have to grapple with in some capacity with our, with our, with our clients and like obviously drinking culture directly impedes all of the, the goals the health and fitness related goals and I suppose even some of these more um, larger more existential goals to some degree but like I think as we've just as we discussed there is like a balance with all of this stuff I think that there is even with drinking um, but it's hard to reconcile that. For, for, for Irish people because it's like so ingrained in the culture and it's hard to detach yourself from that because it's, you know, like I've been drinking since I was probably about 14, 15. Like I probably started, had my first sip of devil's bit cider, you know? Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard, I think, for people to detach from that. But what, what's your general thoughts on that? Yeah, so I suppose like the first caveat is that like, I like, like I, I actually enjoy certain alcoholic drinks. I really like, red wine i like um stout and i like ipas and and some pale ales as well some craft beers like they're my 
my, my preferences and I, I enjoy them like for their own sake, as in having a, I had a glass of red wine last night when I was just, you know, chilling out at the end of the day after my dinner, really enjoyed that. It was just a nice, pleasant experience while I was reading a book before going to bed, but it was one glass, you know, and similar last week I had a beer, I might have two or two beers. Sometimes it's nice. It's pleasant. It actually enhances my life every now and then personally, when I know that I, I, if I'm honest with myself over the years, like if I like get drunk, you know, drink too much, I don't really like myself in the moment or the days to follow. It makes me incredibly anxious. It makes me feel very depressed and it ruins my week. If I have like a, a drinking session, um, that's only got wor- gotten worse with age. So I know that drinking regularly would absolutely not improve my life and would, especially if I'm drinking like just too much getting drunk, let's say, like most Irish people do, unfortunately, that would ruin my life. It would be of a much lower quality. And I have to be very honest about that um, with myself because it can be tempting, you know, at times, especially if you're within a social circle that is where the only events you have are nights out. It's very difficult for people to, te- to detach from that, particularly in Ireland. We have a big drink problem. Um, and what can start as the odd drink can very quickly soon in turn into somewhere on that spectrum of alcoholism. And there's a lot of people in Ireland who drink grossly excess amounts of alcohol and excuse it as a few pints, like, and, and they're, you know, they're borderline alcoholics, if not alcoholics. So you have to be very honest with yourself. I think particularly as a young person, because this is where you can stop it from spiraling out of control. You have to be honest with yourself about what impact alcohol has on your life, because um, something I've become kind of acutely aware of over the last couple of years, and I've heard Peterson talk about this as well, is that like alcohol in a moment can actually like ruin your entire life. As in, I know of people, even, even in Kerry, close to home, who drunk on a night out, you know, threw a punch. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Most of us have probably been some sort of fisty cups under drink or under the influence of drink at some point. But there was a story of one guy in Kerry threw a punch. The guy fell over, smacked his head, died like prison. That's the end of your life. You're never getting over it, that. That's ruined your entire life. You mightn't have meant to have done that. Similarly, you might fall over when you're drunk, smack your head. Boom. You've got a brain injury. You're paralyzed for life. Like there's such potent effects that alcohol can have. You make reckless decisions, almost all like violent crime and um, domestic abuse, even all those types of things all like very, very high proportion, at least are influenced by alcohol and or drugs. So you have to appreciate one, the acute short-term risk of um, an event like that occurring, but then two, the chronic risk. So if you're consuming an excess of alcohol um, and like even like very things that don't seem like a lot, like if you have four or five pints on three nights a week, it's not uncommon in Ireland at all. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, we'll have four pints or the classic Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday lunchtime pints. Like people do that all the time. That is an excess of alcohol. That is increasing your risk of many different diseases long-term from oral and pharyngeal cancers to stomach cancer to um, you know heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, everything. Go down the list and alcohol probably has some sort of effect. Um, and especially in quantities consumed very regularly in Ireland, we have a very big drink problem, very high prevalence of alcohol related liver disease as well. Um, and a lot of people think their drinking habits are normal when 
they're absolutely not. So in general, Ireland has an excessive drinking culture, poor attitude towards alcohol. And I think that as an individual, when you're young, it's very wise to question the role that alcohol plays in your life. And if you're someone who can just have one or two and stop, great. But if you're someone who's constantly losing control, it's best to try to avoid those situations as much as possible. Because again, I'm just very cognizant of the fact that, you know, events can happen that just potentially ruin your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Will we leave it there? Unless you want to elaborate on that point another bit, I'm fine for another five minutes for Sonia. Yeah. Like I suppose, you know, because the tricky part of it is it's kind of like, People know that. Yeah, everyone knows. You know, that this is like everything that you just said. No one's going to say, oh, I don't agree with you, Gary. No, <laughs> you're an idiot. That's definitely not true. No one's going to say that, right? But it's, I suppose, the the amount that drinks claws have in on people and, and, and not just individuals, but like groups of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we're not just individuals, we're, you know, units of people as well. Like, you know, so I think, if your only social circle is people that engage in that behavior, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's kind of like, <clears throat> it can be some level of fear in terms of like, right. I know that this is bad for me, but I don't, I would prefer to take the negative effects of alcohol than take the negative effects of not having a social circle. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the tricky part for people um, when they're considering this stuff. But this is where I think that, you know, getting into things like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and engaging in activities that are social and allow you to create social bonds with new people that potentially gives you an avenue to go down where it's like, right, you can gain all the, some of the benefits of, of um, socialization without having to go to the pub, you know? And I think even if it was a case of like, maybe by doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you make a few friends there and you go out with them friends, maybe just, off the top of my head, say, for example, one of the Friday nights and then you go drink in the Saturday night, that even if that cuts down your drinking time in half, that's mm-hmm. still going to have a pretty good effect on on your life overall. So I think that's kind of the, the tricky part that young lads specifically in this context find difficult because it's like it's it's part of the, the social circle that I'm in. And it's very, very difficult for me to say I can't to deny myself of of that element of things, too. Yeah. And I think really the multiple nights of drinking at the weekend is probably the worst because what ends up happening is, and I know people who live like this, where if they, they drink three nights the weekend and then it's just about Friday again, by the time they're feeling back to baseline, you know, and if you're trying to live a life that's in accordance with everything we discussed earlier in this podcast, like you're trying to be disciplined, you're trying to plan your days, you're trying to train, read, sleep well, eat well, etc. That's so hard to do if you've got a hangover, a two-day hangover, the residual effects of those hangovers, like your body's dealing with it for multiple days. So it's not just those days. So as you say, Dean, if you're currently someone that's going out two, three nights a week, if you can cut it to one um, and you have your one hangover day, that's a massive chunk of your week that you've now got back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think there's an element of like being the fish in the fish tank again with this as well. In Ireland, you know, uh, as like as you're saying, Gary, it's not normal drinking habits, oh, but it's normal. It's normalized yes. for us, and we don't have the same sort of 
relative concept of what a normal drinking culture should be just because of you know and then you know there's different levels to it in terms of like you know if you're young and you're in college and you know there's more of it and it's like is it normal then it's like layers to it and it's it's hard to when you're in in it it's hard to be able to look from the outside in mm-hmm. um yeah, how, are you, how are you for time gary do you need to no my my client just texted me he's, he's running a bit late from his call anyway but i just might make one more point just to say that like we see this and that we actually see this in the hospital um a lot any placement i've been on especially if there's like a liver ward you ask people what they're drinking and they're so comfortable talking about it when if you're actually to calculate out the units and be someone who's maybe not from ireland not familiar with the drinking culture you're like hold on like are you you what like you know i might have you know two three bottles of wine a day it's like wait what like what are you on about or like people just casually saying like that they have you know a bottle of wine every evening or that they might have four or five pints every night after work you know and they're there with established liver disease and it's difficult for them to kind of just put those two things together because maybe they're a builder or they've worked in a bar and it's always been the case that four or five pints in the evening sure that's the norm and maybe seven or eight then on a friday and saturday like you don't think of those people as being alcoholics as such because they're functioning well and people have this idea from you know movies and and tv etc that the alcoholic is the person who's always drunk and not functioning and falling around with the whiskey bottle but if you're having four or five pints there like five nights a week and seven or eight on two of the weekends then you're 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 accumulating like 50 60 maybe even 70 units um of alcohol per week or more which is multiples of the upper limit and the high risk limit I think there's a difficulty there as well with like rural Ireland and social outlets. Hundred percent. Like, if the choice is between going to the pub, seeing your friends, having some you know social contact outside of your household, versus not, you know, how do you uh, you know consolidate that? Um, and like I, th- you know, I think you know, Pete, you get questions a lot, Gary. Think like from college students right they look up to you they see yeah. you living your life they say you know i i'm struggling with the the social aspect of say university and the drinking culture like maybe i don't want to partake in the drinking culture um as dean was saying but i feel like i've no other option it's like you know you obviously can go and socialize and you don't have to consume alcohol but as a young person you are not as sure of yourself and where you fit in right and you're trying to find a place for yourself and i wanted to underpin this whole conversation with you know essentially the younger you are in most cases the less of this stuff you'll have figured out right the less the less sure of yourself you're going to be you know so we're you know we're able to talk about all this stuff but a lot of this comes down to experience and exposing ourselves to different concepts and and the content we consume and testing as dean said you know so you're not expected to have this all figured out right but we're trying to give you ideas of how you can get on that path and you know it's kind of easy for me to say oh you know i can just go out and happily not consume any alcohol if i don't want to but you know i'm quite confident in myself at this point in my life but put me back to being you know 19 years of age i don't know if it's going to be the same thing so you know you can learn from what we have learned through life experience but you also can't 
uh, substitute that completely. So, you know, just understand that you have one life to live and that, you know, you need to make choices about how you want to live it. And, you know, you can go out and and, and not consume alcohol or consume very small amounts of alcohol. It's not, it's not really going to detract from the social experience. Yeah. Yet you might say that, okay, I need some of that kind of social lubrication, but you don't really, but again, that's just something you learn with time and knowing, getting to know yourself. Yeah. And I mean, we don't have it all figured out either. We're still all incredibly young in the grand scheme of things. Um, and I think, you know, you could ask far wiser people than us, but hopefully you've learned something in this podcast. I think the main thing, and this goes for whatever age you are, where you are in life is to try your best to be honest about understanding who you are. And I don't mean finding like some hidden self that was subjugated in childhood that you can find, like, don't mind that just, but I mean, like, what is it that, you know, brings you joy, brings you meaning, brings you purpose. What are you good at? What are you not good at? What do you want to improve? What are you happy not being good at? You have to be very honest with yourself in terms of all of those things. And if you can do that and then start to take steps to try to put together a life that seems useful, you know, and that's one thing is like, don't always ask what makes me happy. Ask what's actually useful to the world around me, because that's a wise decision long-term because it will probably bring you some joy. Um, and you start to build that life. You plan your weeks, you plan your months, you plan your year, even loosely, you'll be on a path and then you'll figure out, okay, this actually worked well for me. This made me feel good. I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to do less of that. And over time, your life might deviate massively from mine. But the important thing is that we use the same principles. We're still applying the same principles of actually asking, what is it I'm good at? What is it that brings me meaning? How, how do I best study or how do I best structure my day for me, for my needs, for my sleep needs, for my relaxation needs? And then that's why I always say, like, I, I say the phrase, like, are you on the path? You know, um, it's kind of from Jocko, but are you on the path? And someone commented on my TikTok the other day being like, no, I'm not on the path, Gary, because I don't believe this is sustainable. Like, I didn't say you had to be on my path, man. If you're working 12 hours a week and you're like spending your time walking in the woods, you're loving life, you've got, you know, good relationships, you're cutting the grass you're baking apple pies for the neighbors you're on the path that's what it's about is about saying well, how do i get on my path not gary's path jesus would all be absolutely nuts if we we're on gary's path we don't need more of that but follow my principles i think and you'll be fine but don't follow my method same with training same with nutrition same with life that's a good closure i think um guys uh any closing remarks other than that? Um, Sign up for Triage right. Method Coaching or Nutrition Course and uh, follow the, uh, what, what do you call your podcast now? Is it just Brian and Nutrition's? <laughs> or is it, you didn't, it's Brian not Brian Nutrition. Or Brian and Dean's Nutrition Podcast. It's Nutrition and Health with Dino and Bino. I'll have okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sure if Dino and Bino were still in there. But yeah, um, share this podcast and then also you got to follow the triage method podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Hey guys, I will leave the links for everything in the description. Um, coaching, I think base, we, we all have a few sco- coaching spaces available. Mm-hmm. If, um, if you're interested in getting involved in that, um, but you've heard us uh, talk about that before. Uh, thank you for listening. As Gary said, share it around. That's the best way to get this information out. And thank you for listening. Peace.